Welcome to Intelligent Investing. This is Glenn Lease. It is Friday. Uh, we are just wrapping up another week. We're going to close out with some of our closing thoughts for the week. Stay tuned. It's going to be a great episode. That's crazy. That sounds All right, in the studio with me, I've got one of my coworkers, Jacob Biliak. Jacob, how are you today? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Jacob, uh, you've been in the business for a while. I've been in the business for a while. Um, uh, being an advisor is, t- is tough work, I will say. It's uh, not easy. What, 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 are, what are some of the things that is most challenging for you as an advisor um, in this current market? Uh, probably one of the most challenging things is just uh, continuing to manage people's emotions uh, and the emotions they face when investing, especially in a year like this when we're facing a bear market. And uh, it's always helpful to reference the cycle of market emotions, yeah. I find. And that that's really helpful because try to keep people from the natural tendency of wanting to buy high when the market is high. Buy high and sell low, yeah, right? And euphoria is going and sell low and when they think they're going to lose it all. You know, actually that is an issue that I don't think any advisor ever gets away from is walking through people, uh, making those knee jerk reactions in a moment like this. Cause it, it's funny. Cause we'll, we'll, I've always seen this happen. I've been doing this almost 10 years that the day that they sell out of the market is the day the market just starts roaring back up. It's almost like Murphy's law, but managing emotions is hard. It's, um, because I get it. Like I, I look at my portfolios and I see the red and it's not, it's not exciting, but I like the green. I don't like the red. And so we as advisors, it's important to manage our client emotions. And so when you're managing the emotions, you say you're kind of reminding them that this too shall pass. This is the natural cycle of things. What are some other things that you found to be helpful um, as you have those conversations about just the tough spot we're in in the markets? Yeah, I think like I briefly mentioned, the the cycle of market emotions is the physical graph where you can see the the peaks and the troughs and the emotion, the human emotions that goes with each cycle in the market cycle. And seeing that when markets are at their highs, like the end of 2021, is usually when people are most excited. Like euphoria, yeah. yeah. There's euphoria in the market and everyone's, you know, thinks, oh, it's gone up 20%. I got to put, throw some more money in there. It's going to go up another 20%. And usually (laughs) at the peak, that's when there's the most risk. And yeah. Times like this where people are starting to lose hope and it's really tough and depressing to see the red is usually when there's the most opportunity to buy. Oh, 100%. And I've actually had an individual where in 2021, they're kind of like middle of the road. They weren't super aggressive. They weren't super conservative. And uh, we maybe got like a 7 or 8% return for them for that year, which was about in line with how we were constructed. And they were so upset because the market had done um, like – you know, in the teenage digits. And so they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to take my movie and move it somewhere else. It's like, we could have gotten more aggressive. You you just didn't want to take any risk. And so it went all aggressive. And then this year he's probably like looking back going, okay, I, I get why I was in the middle of the road because um, now he's probably seeing a downward slope of 25, 26%. So, so I think it's, it, 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 you can't have it both ways. You can't have only upside and no downside, like temporarily. Like you have to be willing to ride the roller coaster uh, through the whole portion of it. If you get out midway through the ride, you're going to get yourself injured. And so we, we hear that and we go, oh yeah, well, I ride a roller coaster at Six Flags. Of course I get in, stay on the whole ride. But when it comes to investing, it is that emotional, roller coaster of the ups, the downs. And I actually had one client tell me, this was kind of comical. And um, he said, I only want to invest when the stock market's going up. And I said, really? He's like, yeah, when the market's growing up, that's when I want to be investing. I said, okay, well, um, 
when is the best time? Because the market was kind of down at that time. I said, when is the best time to buy your favorite pair of sneakers at the store? Is it when they're full price or when they're on sale? And he goes, well, obviously when they're on sale, right? Good quality stuff on sale. And so I could just see the gears turning. He's like, oh, I see what Glenn's saying. Yes, it is the best time to buy when things are low. Doesn't mean it's the easiest time to buy. In fact, it's almost like you have to buy and turn it off for a year or turn it off for two or three years and not even be attached to it. And I've had to do similar things too, where I bought in almost at the peak of some things and I just saw it go down, 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 down. But it's only been eight months. And so I've got, I, I always have to remind myself, I'm never going to have perfect timing ever when I enter the market. And so that's a couple things you can do is one is have the right time horizon. But two is if you are adding money to your accounts is do dollar cost averaging. That's something yeah. that I've encouraged my clients if they're not doing is to continue to do. And so dollar cost averaging, you know, we obviously know what that is. It's just, you're continually funding on a set game plan every single month. You're not changing it. You're not trying to find when the best day is the worst day is you're just setting in money each month and you're buying in each month. So that's really helped our clients. What, what are some other things that you found to be helpful in talking with clients to help them maybe change that perspective, have the right perspective, planning, per, planning things. Um, I ask these questions all tongue in cheek because we've worked together for years and <laughs> you've probably seen how I walk clients through this, but what are some of the things that you're doing in your practice right now? Yeah, a couple things popped out at me. Uh, well, one, you know, kind of the example you gave of the client going from a moderate investor who, you know, regretted missing out on a good year, uh, and then switched to be aggressive. And now we had a bad year just kind of emphasizes the <laughs> yeah. importance of, you know, sticking to your plan and understanding mm -hmm. the cycle of market emotions and not acting on those emotions that are going to, uh, not suit you, uh, for your best interest in the long term. Yeah. Um, one of the other, I would say probably most important things is, you know, psychologically, you know, to remember it, I, I've heard you say this is the glass half full glass, half empty yeah. markets down. Yeah. Money you have invested, you know, that's not fun to see, but if, you know, for the people who are still contributing, there's mm -hmm. the glass half full, like you yeah. said, the, you know, those real life metaphors are really uh, helpful for people to kind of understand what we're doing um, to see, you know, yeah, you're buying on sale when you're putting money in your dollar yeah. cost averaging, you're buying low each month, each month it drops, you're putting in the same amount, yeah. you're buying low. Um, there's a good expression. You might've talked about this before, but someone, uh, uh, experienced advisor and I was first starting said people like to, uh, they like to check some people like to check their investment accounts every day mm -hmm. and they check their blood pressure once or twice a year and they're watching their accounts <laughs> each day. They're looking at the daily moves yeah. and what they find, you know, they're getting stressed out. They're trying to make decisions on emotions, mm -hmm. on the short term daily yeah. movements. And what they find with doing that is <laughs> over time, their investment accounts value drops and their blood pressure goes up. Yeah. So they say uh, it's a, you're much better off. Check Do your it opposite. Yeah. yeah. Check it every quarter, a couple times a year. Check your blood pressure every day, and that way you'll, you'll stick do to your plan. Yeah, you'll have the long-term approach, and your investment account will do well over the long term, and hopefully your blood pressure stays at a healthy and, level. And there's a reason for that, right? Uh, common sense says if you're going to, Jacob, you're going to go plant a garden in your backyard. Common sense says you need to pay attention to it, right? You need to water it, tend to it, look at it every day. But with investing, it's slightly different because it is such a long-term game plan, which is why part of what we do is so important is we help do all that day-to-day -day stuff without the emotion tied to it. And so that way we can help our clients stay the course. Because yeah, what ends up happening is if you're checking your account every day, it's 
human nature, you know, especially if it's a down day, you want to make a move. You want to make a move. Like, like, okay, I need to sell out and go to go to go to cash. I had one client, his email me, he's like, oh, I want to sell out on a on a on an up day. You know, sell my stocks out on an up day. I'm like, okay, well then what? <laughs> you know, uh, when do we get back in? Yeah, when do we get back in? I mean, where's the perfect timing? Because if you know those those dates, uh, you know, you're going to come work for us, right? Because yeah. no one knows that, right? We don't know that. And if we're being <laughs> honest, and I've done this so long, I thought to myself, oh, with all my inside information and all my knowledge of the market, somehow I might be the one that could do it. And and it's just not possible, right? We just don't know day to day. So part of what we do is really helping people um, be successful, you know, in their corner. And with investing, yeah, like you don't want to be checking it every day because that will drive you insane and studies show your performance is worse. But if you're paying us, we are the ones doing it for you every day. We're doing that due diligence. We're doing that tending to like that garden example. So that way you don't have to. Um, and we are not, we don't have the same uh, emotional tie because it's, it's, it's our client money. Yes, we're, we want to make sure we do a good job stewarding it, but we're able to remove that emotion. I have the same issue even with my own personal money. Like I, it's funny, I have another advisor with the firm that runs my portfolio because I don't want to look at it because I know I too have the same issues of I'm human, right? I yeah. have the same issues. So, okay. So that's been going on. Um, what about, um, so we talked about dollar cost averaging, managing emotions. What about from a planning perspective? Is there certain things that you've done that have allowed clients to stay the course, maybe even in retirement, not be worried so much about the fluctuations? How have you maybe um, managed that? Yeah, I guess, you know, from the beginning for new investors, people that have been doing it a long time, they kind of have a good idea. You know, they've been through 2008. Yeah. They've been here doing it long enough. They've been through the dot-com bubble of the early 2000s. So they've seen it before, but new investors usually have a tougher time. So I usually really try to set the expectation going into it. Look, you can look at the long-term S&P 500 returns of about 10% a year, yeah. but within that, you're going to have years like we had in 2020, 2021, double-digit, you know, 20, 30% gains. You're going to have years where you're double-digit losses. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so just kind of setting that expectation. And that way, when we do have a year like this, when we're down, you know, 25%, the S&P, you know, you've seen, oh, we're having one of those years, one yeah, of those yeah. down 25% years. That means, you know, hopefully we'll probably have some good years in the yeah. future because- That's how it goes, right? Yeah. It's, it's, some it's, of the best days usually follow the worst days. That's why making emotional decisions on the short term can really- uh, Be catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. Be yeah and I agree. And so one of the things I've uh, also done is- with clients um, <clears throat> is is we have our buckets, right? And we have our short-term, mid-range, and long-term buckets. And so if your long-term bucket is a mostly stock portfolio and you've got two to four years at a minimum, which is really what you should have if you're going to be investing in stocks. If you're not willing to commit at least two to three years minimum, uh, stocks is probably not for you. It's 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 yeah. It can be you know too much of a swing to either side. But if you've got enough time to commit, stocks are a great way of building wealth. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. So long-term, you know, stocks are great. But what about that, that short-range bucket? If you have, say you're in retirement and you've got a year of living expenses in the bank, um, you're not worried about the, what the market's doing day to day because you're like, hey, I've got a year of income built up and I've already planned for that. And I was just talking with a client earlier today. They're like, oh, am I going to be okay? And what do I need to do? And I said, hey, we've already planned in. In fact, we have two years uh, in a super low risk portfolio of monthly expenses. So a lot can change in two years from now. I mean, we can be in a radically different spot two years from now and all this will be just water under the bridge. So that's the other thing I've done from planning perspective is make sure they have enough money in their bank and maybe like a short to mid range accounts. So that way they don't have to raid their retirement accounts. The worst thing I've seen happen is people say, Oh, I'm ready to start investing. Great. Um, do you have an emergency fund? Oh, I don't need an emergency fund. I'll 
I'll just start investing in my IRA today. And then six months later, their IRA becomes their emergency fund. They tap into it and it's usually at the worst time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. That emergency fund's going to be what prevents you from having to sell low during the times when the market's down and you need money. Yeah. I almost feel like the emergency fund is like a, um, a repellent for Murphy, like cousin Murphy cover Cousin Murphy is, uh, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So if you've got an emergency fund, it can, it's like a repellent, like yeah, an antidote. Yeah. You won't need it. Yeah. Won't need you it. Yeah. One, you're going to need, you're going to have needed one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that emergency fund really turns a, you know, a, a, an emergency, it just, you know, it's a normal thing. Hey, we expected this and it's done. It's completed. We can pay for it. But if you don't have that emergency fund, it now becomes a crisis, you know, yeah. the water heater goes out or, you know, car needs to be repaired or kiddo goes to the emergency room. I actually had a plumbing issue. I've had so many plumbing issues at my house. It's a brand new house. Like no, no joke, 10 grand in the last two years alone. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, one of them, it was like, we were looking at the water bill. We're like, geez, we don't use that much water. And there was some sort of like, it was overpressurized. So it was like sending a ton of water. So he's called the, you know, a plumber out, um, does some work. Okay. I fixed it. And that was like maybe 800 bucks a week or two later issue is still going on, call a different plumber. Um, cause that same plumber couldn't come out and he's like, Oh no, 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 no. Here's the issue. And we need to do this, this, and this. Um, I'm like, how much is that going to cost me? He's like $4,800. I was like, Oh geez. I was like, well, I want to keep having $800 a month water bill. So I fix it. And that was like not even a year ago. And then again, just this week we had some issue where there's again, the people who built the house just did not take enough time and they just cut corners. And that was an extra $1,800. I'm like, geez, are we in the wrong industry? I mean, should we be plumber? I mean, some of those guys just, oh, yeah. you know, I was like, how long were you here for? It was like two, two hours. I was like, you know, I went in watched the movie, came back out and you're done and oh, yeah. two grand later. So yeah, that, that, that emergency fund is so important because you just never know what's going to come up and it's a new house. So it shouldn't have problems, but it is, it's a, it's a new car. Shouldn't have problems. It might. Yeah. You never <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. And there's, you know, the, again, with the glass half full thing with the interest rates rising and not being good for stocks, it is good for emergency funds. And that sure. you can actually, you know, buy some CDs and uh, some, you know, some fixed income that's actually paying a little bit now as yeah. opposed to a couple of years ago. And that's actually something we can do as a firm um, is we can do what's called a CD ladder. Yep. Um, and that would be a like three month, six month, nine month and a one year CD, maybe broken up 25% each allocation. So that way every three months, you're always having one fourth of that emergency fund come due. But I think I did a CD ladder for a client the other day and it was like 3.74% blended average. Yeah. I was like, that's not bad. You know, and uh, for our bigger clients that work with us, you know, we don't really charge that much if all at anything on the CD portfolios, um, if they've already done business with us. So it's a great place to park cash. Oh, yeah. And one client's like, oh, I threw money in a one-year CD and paid me 4.1. I'm like, that's not bad. So yeah, rising interest rates are better for those uh, emergency funds because you can actually maybe get a little interest. It's not going to beat inflation, but that's not the goal. Like your emergency fund is really just an insurance. It's not, it's right. not to get rich off of it. It's to not go broke. <laughs> yeah. And the interesting, the other interesting thing with the emergency funds is while rates have gone up for uh, people that are taking out debt and mortgages and so on, the banks haven't started paying uh, more interest. <laughs> go yet. figure, right? You yeah. Know, big banks on the savings accounts hasn't caught up, but luckily CDs and some other fixed income instruments have. Yeah. And I was um, looking at... Um Bank of America, they had a three-year CD. I went online just to look at it because I was comparing our CDs that we can shop out across the world versus maybe like a big corporate one. And it was like, we can pay you 1.75. I was like, okay, for how long? And it was like three years. It was like 36 months for 1.75. <laughs> yeah. And then I could do a one year for 4.1. I was like, yeah. So some of the bigger banks have not 
adjusted up accordingly. I almost wonder if they're, I, I know they're doing it intentionally because they're trying to keep the additional profit and not pass along the interest because yeah. they're probably, who knows what they've got going on. But yeah, so yeah, you want to make sure you get the best rate. So uh, one last closing thing. Um, so where do you see the markets through the rest of the year? That's the big question. And and some of the things we've done in our portfolios, we've gotten more defensive. We've gotten more um, specific with some of the names we bought in our portfolio. Uh, so one of them I thought was funny is we bought Constellation Brands the other day. And everyone's like, what's Constellation Brands? It's like, well, they, they, one of their big departments is they sell beer. And you're like, why are you buying a beer company? It's like, because if we have an economic recession, you know, people tend to drink more beer. And, I, and it just is what it is. So, And then we got more defensive. We got more into value names um, like Johnson Johnson, Procter & Gamble, like staples, like stuff that we just wouldn't, uh, that we're going to use no matter what. Um, we got out some of the high-flying names and then got even more um uh, into our commodities too. We, as the, the inflation continues to rise, we're going to see commodities, but, um, where do you see the rest of the year heading? Um, at least through, you know, January, February ish. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one to see any kind of change in the, at least in the near future, you have uh, JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs predicting now a recession in the next year, uh, coming 2023 and, you know, wall street's always looking, you know, at least six months ahead of time. So they're going to, they're factoring that in now. So, uh, it really kind of depends, in my opinion, on what we see with inflation, what we see with the labor market, if it mm-hmm. continues to stay yep. strong and Americans go out and spend for the holidays. We could see a nice uh, Santa Claus rally at the end of the year, but that kind of is going to be dependent on the uh, consumer sentiment. And as long as, you know, people keep getting paid, keep their jobs stay, you know, they're going to uh, probably spend. But if yeah. something with that changes, I could see it, you know, having some trouble. But yeah. Yeah. And you you hit on a good point that consumer spending is a huge part of our um, economic engine. But if they're charging higher interest rates and we as Americans, uh, you know, no surprise here, we like debt. So everyone seems to finance everything. So if people are spending more, but they're doing it via like a revolving debt, you know, that's going to just make that's going to be challenging to pay back. So I think going to this next uh, consumer spending period, I've been recommending most of my clients just Maybe if they're if they're worried about the future, maybe just dial things back a little bit. We, you know, most of us will are more than have enough with what we have in our homes. We don't need to be extravagant. Um, and, and obviously, if we're going to spend money and pay get gifts, awesome. But maybe if it's at the expense of having to finance it, it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's at the expense of you know credit cards that are double digit debt or depleting your emergency funds, probably not the time to do that. Mm, agreed. Now, now might be the time where if you have keep if you normally keep a six month emergency fund with six month of living expenses, you might want to up, try to up that to nine months or maybe even a year, depending on your situation. I agree. I agree. I think that's a great, great, uh, uh, recommendation there. So again, uh, with me, Jacob Biliak, he's one of our advisors at the firm. Um, so, uh, for those of who haven't already subscribed, uh, subscribe to intelligent investing with Glenn least, uh, you can call us here. The office number is nine, two, eight, two, two, five, two, four, seven, four. And then that's how you get a hold of me. How do they get a hold of you, Jacob? If uh, anyone wants to call in? Yeah, you can call the office and ask for Jacob. You can call my cell phone, two, six, two, five, seven, three, seven, two, three, nine. Uh, thanks for having me, Glenn. It's a good time as always. Yeah, yeah. It's always good to get uh, people within the WT Wealth Management team to come in and just talk shop. So with that, thanks for tuning in to Intelligent Investing. Uh, we will be back next week for more great content.